anecdotes with Matt and Paul. Leveling up through truth, meaning, trade-offs, and perspective. Well, good evening, everybody. I'm Paul. This is my co-host, Matt. And we have guest number two tonight, Mr. Tom Casey. Welcome, Tom. Thank you very much. Thanks for the invite. We're so excited to share your story tonight. Uh, Tom is a therapeutic business leader in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, Tom and I go way back. Uh, we just did the pre-podcast, and now Tom and Matt go way back, too. So, you know, we always say we should tape that, and here we are again just starting now. But anyways, we're, we're ready to roll. Yeah, yeah, Tom, thanks for coming on. It's great having you in the few minutes we had to chit-chat a little bit here beforehand. We obviously have a lot in common and think very similarly and uh, you know, have have some uh, uh, friends and and in common and that kind of thing. So it's as you said, it's a small world, so it's fun. But we're thrilled to have you. Looking forward to really continuing the conversations we've been having because, as is always the case, our you know before we start recording, we have these great conversations. And uh, at some point, Paul and I will figure it out. But um, thanks again for coming on, and and you know, let's let's get let's get started here. Let's go. So, so, Tom, tell us a little bit about what you do. And, and I mean, I know a lot about what you do, but I just yeah. want to share with our viewers. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm probably the luckiest guy in the world. At least that's what that's the way that I look at it. I have the opportunity uh, to, to work with with people in their development to, to help get them to where they need to get. So I've been in the pharmaceutical industry, same company, by the way, for 22 years now, a direct people leader for roughly 16 years. And, you know, my job is to, is to really understand what people's development needs to look like, what they want it to look like, and then partner with them over the course of time, you know, to help them accomplish whatever it is that they want, want to accomplish. We're in the development business. We're, we're in the development business. We're in the people business. We're not in the pharmaceutical business. I say that to people all the time. We're in the people development business and, and the people business in general because it's the it's the way that we communicate with people to help meet their needs that we believe really sets us apart from everybody else i'm so happy to say that i've promoted many many people over the course of time there are people who are working for or who are working for for the company now who who are way above me who worked for me at one time and that's that's a pretty cool thing to say and as you can imagine 22 years there's a lot of people that kind of cross your cross your window and, and cross your your face tom how many people are you developing at one time or working with at one time so right now it's nine right now oh, it's wow. nine that number has been anywhere between i don't know probably eight and 16 people depending on the structure of the organization at that time and i've been i've been in every therapeutic area that the company has you name it i've covered i've had it all what, what do you mean by therapeutic area? What's that mean? So, so right now I'm a, I'm a therapeutic business leader in our cardiology division. I've been in cardiology. I've been in the metabolic world. I've been in the respiratory world. Oh, wow. I've been in the orthopedic world. We've been in the neonatal world. We, we've been all over the place. And, and is, is, is the leadership, are, are, the, are the techniques, are the, the things you do different from world to world? No. Or are we no. Okay, that's yeah. No. Yeah. See, that's the beauty of it. Yeah. That that's the beauty of it. From a business, from a strategic standpoint on the business side of things, 
certainly there's differences there, right? Yes. There's differences in customers, there's differences in products. That's a given. And that's yeah. going to be the case no matter which therapeutic area you happen to be in at any particular time. But from a leadership standpoint, you lead people the same way. Paul will tell you, I, I'm probably... <laughs> I'm probably the poster child for what I, I love to call servant leadership. I think servant leadership is the only way to lead. I think leading from the back is the only way to lead. I think bottom up type leadership, especially in today's environment, especially if you think about the generation that's coming up now and that's going to enter the workforce now, right? Top down leadership doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Outside in leadership doesn't work extrinsic external leadership does not work because we know with this generation we better be able to partner with them from a development standpoint otherwise they're going to look for another opportunity in a company that will and i think the hallmark of servant leadership and this is the big big difference between when i first started and now from a leadership standpoint the hallmark of servant leadership is trust I look at trust a little bit differently than most people look at it. Even in our own industry, I look at it a little bit differently. Most people think trust is something that you have to earn. Okay. I don't believe that at all. Okay. Trust is something you give. All right. Trust is something you give somebody until they show you you're not worthy or they're not worthy of that trust. Here's why. We talk about we talk about intrinsic versus extrinsic stuff. How powerful is it if I say to you, listen, I'm giving you my trust right now. I trust you implicitly as opposed to the other way around. Then let me tell you, let me, what if I said, no, now you got to earn my trust. Well, here's the question. When do you earn it? What's that look like? All right. So, so, so paint that picture for me. What does that blueprint look like? When do I earn it? How long is it going to take me to earn that trust, and what do I, what am I going to have to do to keep it? The problem is, they never earn your trust based on your definition of what earning your trust is. You would not believe the empowerment that people feel when you say, "I trust you to make the right decisions," based on a couple things. I trust you to make the right decision because it's the right decision to make. First of all, that's it. I trust you to make the right decision based on the situation that is in front of you with a good heart and with a good mind and good, good intentions until you prove to me that you can't, that you aren't worthy of that trust. And then you have a conversation with them. That's that's the, that's the tough part about leadership. People got to let you lead them. I can't, you can't work for me. I can't tell you, hey, I'm going to lead you whether you like it or not. That's not the way that it works. People have got to let you lead them. And the only way that they're going to let you lead them is if they believe you give a crap about them. First of all, that's the first thing. You got to care. Well, that was going to be what I was going to ask you is how you're showing people you trust them. So you show them you care. You got to show them you care. And by the way, that comes through in words, not just care about them from a business standpoint, but you care about them personally. By the way, if you ever hear anybody say, ah, it's just business, that's a load of you know what. 
it's never just business. It's always personal, always, always, always personal. You've got to get to know that person. You've got to get to know what makes that person tick and what motivates that person and what they want to accomplish. As soon as they see that you're willing to partner with them and you care and you give a crap, I mean, genuinely give a crap about them. The sky is the absolute limit. So that's the first thing. We call it radical candor, by the way. First thing, there's two, there's two pieces to radical candor. By the way, it's a book by Kim Scott. Kim Scott's the author. Incredible book. Surprise there, right, Paul? Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful book. I'm writing it down. <laughs> there you go. So radical candor, it contains two things. Number one, you got to give a crap about somebody. And number two, and this is the hard part, you got to care about them enough that you give them the feedback that they deserve to get, not necessarily the feedback that they want to hear, sure. but the feedback that they deserve to get. But here's my argument. If you know, not think, you know, if you know that I care about you, I can say anything, anything. I want to. Yeah. Yeah. Any sense. Yeah. And it goes the other way too. If I know that you genuinely care about me, you can say anything you want to me because I know it's coming from a good place with good intentions. I think, I think it's awesome. You know, you're talking my language. I mean, as a teacher, I think that's where a lot of us educators go wrong. We spend so much time. There's a lot of teachers smarter than me. I mean, you guys both yeah. know that for a fact. Don't shake it. Uh, <laughs> they push so much curriculum. And then 20 years later, yes, students, what they think of, what they thought about a class, it's mm -hmm. the fact whether or not the teacher cared about them and showed it and trusted them to go back to your trust. And that goes with, with teaching, with coaching, right up into the business world where you two guys are at. And that's what, that's what we all have in common. I mean, earlier you, you guys were talking and the relationship world came out and I almost just left the Zoom for the entire podcast. <laughs> you guys hit it off so well. Uh, well, well, Paul, not that, sorry to interrupt, but Tom, you were saying I wanted to comment on this. You know, when, when I, when my wife and I train new hires and, mm -hmm. and the thing that we try to do and, and, and we're not, we're not perfect. I, we could, we could improve a, a lot on it, but it's my same belief system. It's one of the things I tell new people is I'm empowering you to make the right, the, the right decision right from the get-go. In fact, I, I'll, I'll deliberately say to them, I'm not asking you to make the right decision. I'm, I'm telling you, you have the power to make the right deci the decision. And you know what? And if it's, if it's not the right decision or if it, there could have been a better decision, we're going to go back. We're going to look at it. We'll say, hey, maybe next time we could attempt this, but no one gets yeah. in trouble. No one's, no one's, you know, no one's getting fired. Nothing like that. Mm -hmm. We're going to, but I've, found that by empowering them right from the get-go that you have the power to make these decisions that we we get better decisions and we get people who last longer within the company that that seems to be where we're and again we're not perfect at it but that's where but think, think about what that means in the back end of that so paul you and i talked about this the other day the there's this new buzzword in the business world it's called accountability we love to hold people accountable for stuff, right? I, there, I hate that word. I cannot stand the word accountable. I do not seek accountability from my people. Here's why. Accountability is an outside in 
ask. It's an outside in behavior. If I, if I ask you to be accountable for something, or if I ask my people to be accountable for something, they will give me what I want. But not more. So it's not accountability that you seek. It's ownership. If you empower people to take ownership, you get more than what you ask for, but not because you asked for it, because it's what they want to give. Big, big difference between those, those, those two, those two words. That is, that's interesting, Tom, because I will, I will agree. I hear the word accountability nonstop. I feel oh, like I feel like everywhere. it's just kind of attacked the and and I, I never looked at it like that. Don't don't get me wrong. I think what you're saying is extremely interesting. I I I, I got to give that some thought because yeah. it's just I'm hearing that a lot. And I'll say tell you on the surface, I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. We all got to be accountable. We all got to be accountable. But does does accountability build a wall to how far you're willing to go? Is is that yes. what that, yes. yeah? Don't that, don't be accountable. Take ownership. That's what that's I say that to people all the time, all day long. Don't be accountable. Take ownership. Sure. I, I like I like that. So so how do you tr how do you deal with this, Tom? So you've given people uh, ownership, and mm -hmm. you've and you've given them trust, which which you said at the beginning. What happens when they screw up? Which we all do, right? So what what's that look like? Well, what's screwing up me? <laughs> what you but you know what I mean? No, I don't I don't ask that I ask that rhetorically. But yeah, 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 yeah. What's, no, exactly. what's screwing up me? Right, so this this leads naturally into another thing that Paul has heard me talk about a billion times. Process over product. Right? Process yep. over product. Okay, product is the outcome, right? Okay, yep. so if the outcome isn't what you want that means and i'll use your words that means you screwed up the process someplace process cool. guess what guess, guess what it ain't the end of the world right fix it you're gonna wake up breathing tomorrow you're, you're still walking you're still put, putting two feet in front of each other let's not let's not let's not get crazy about this right and i tell my people listen i have built my entire leadership approach around process over product. I don't care about the outcome. I'm not interested in the outcome. I don't care if it's money. I don't care if it's sales. I don't care what it is. I am not interested in talking about that at all. I didn't say it wasn't important to me because all of us got to make a living, right? But I'm not interested in talking about that at all. If I am relentlessly focused on my process, the outcome will take care of itself. Now, that's easier said than done. You can't BS the process. You can't fake the process. You can't get lazy with the process. You really gotta take, you gotta get in the lab, you gotta sit down, you gotta get in the basement and you gotta figure out what your process needs to look like for you to experience the outcome that you want. So that being said, let's, let's just assume that that's the approach that we take. If the outcome isn't what you wanted or isn't good enough for you or isn't what you expected, 
it just means that you have got to go back and revisit the process. That's all. Right. That's all. It's process over product. You cannot be concerned with outcomes. You so just you're, can't. You're, you're almost using product or outcome yeah. as the way to measure how good your process is. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yes. Cool. That's right. That's absolutely, that's, and don't get me wrong. Listen, the outcome's important to me. Of course. It's important to everybody, right? When you get in the corporate world, they, they look at the bottom line. Awesome. Fantastic. I'm with you. But you got to get there somehow. Right. And that's where you have to relentlessly focus on the process. People who work for me will tell you. They tell me all the time. Ah, dang it. I'm discouraged by this. I don't like the way that number looks. I don't like the way that number looks. Who cares? Let's go back to your process. The facts are the facts. Don't worry about that stuff. Let's attack your process and make sure it looks the way that it needs to look. And if it doesn't, let's make changes. So, so instead of giving people the scapegoat of, of accountability, you're going back to how they take ownership for the process. Yes. First question is what's your process look like? That's awesome. You, what's your process? We talked earlier. I, I don't, when we mentioned process, you gave me a quote that I'd like you to just say again. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll start it because I know you'll finish it. I'm not trying to set you up. It's not about the what. Huh. That's about the how. And that's what you're talking about, right? It's about it. That's it. It's about the how. We are, we are, Whatted to death. <laughs> We're told what we got to say. We're told what we got to think. We're told what we got to learn. We're, we are enough with the what. Everybody's got the same what. There's no ownership with the what, right? There's, there's no ownership at all with what. The ownership comes in the how. So it's so. here's another one I'll throw at you. Everybody knows who Simon Sinek is, right? Simon Sinek could rule the world now. Everybody, everybody knows what his TED Talks look like and all, all that stuff. Great. I, I, I've read all his books. I'm in. I'm absolutely in. <laughs> but, but he has, in, in one of his books, I want to say it was The Infinite Game, but I might be wrong about that. But in, in one of his books, he talks about the golden circle. The golden circle. So you got the bullseye. You got, you got three circles importance from inside out so whatever is on the outside of that circle is least important okay right in the middle of that circle is your why why you doing what you're doing what's your purpose my purpose and my why is real simple and i say it to everybody every single day my why is to do everything in my power to help people accomplish things that they never thought that they could accomplish that's my why that's it it's as it's as simple as that right but okay, so the why is the inside of the circle. The next ring of the circle is the how. And the last least important ring of the circle is the what? The golden circle. Everyone look it up. It's awesome. I mean, it's, huh. it, it's a perfect approach. I haven't read that one, but it, it is interesting that you said that the, the, middle, the most important one was a why, which goes back to our meaning and our four, our, our pillars there, which is, which yep. is interesting, but, but yeah, I, I, you and I, to show that Tom is consistent, we were talking about something before we were recording and he brought yeah. up it and I wrote it down. It's not the what, it's the how. 
And that instantly hit home with me with, with this problem I'm trying to solve that you and I were talking about. Mm -hmm. So um, right. um, one thing I want to bring up that I should have brought up at the beginning that, that we haven't yet is Tom standing. And for our people watching and listening, and I, and I said, I wasn't going to ask, I wasn't going to ask until we, apparently Tom, you, you do a lot of, you probably do a lot of calls or zoom calls more. And you, st you said you stand all the time. All so, the time. so, so if, I mean, you can just say it's none of your business, Matt, move on or, <laughs> or not. I'm just curious. <laughs> he won't say that. There's two reasons. There's two, there's two reasons, Paul. Uh, but you'll Paul will be familiar with both of them, but you'll be really familiar with one of them. Number one. Okay, so here's my priorities in life. And and by the way, I'm not reinventing the wheel here. This isn't this isn't this isn't gonna blow you away. I am relentlessly focused on three priorities in my life, in this order, unapologetically and non-negotiably, in this order health, family, career, in that order. If you don't have one, you don't have the other one. It's as simple as that. Guess what? I can be the best family dude in the world. If I'm not healthy, there's no way that I can enjoy that or serve the people that I love in my family the way that I need to. And career is a distant third. You, you can't have a career without either one of those as far, as far as I'm concerned. This is why I say that though. My first priority is health. That's the reason I'm standing. Back in 2015, I blew out my L5S1 disc in, in, the, in the bottom part of my back. It's the disc that's all the way down on your back, closer to your backside. Okay. As they wheeled me into surgery, they told me I might not ever walk again. Blew up in my back after a long two-year period of time that was bad. Let's just put it that way. Told me I might not ever walk again. Imagine that being wheeled into the OR and somebody tells you and somebody tells your wife that you might not ever walk again. Mm. That's a that's a big one. That's a that that'll ruin your day. That that that'll ruin your day. But Fast forward though. Hey, here I am. I'm standing. I'm walking. I'm doing. I'm, I can't. I can't complain. Right. Every day is a different day. Back problems never going away. But at that time, I weighed about 249 pounds. Believe it or not, I weigh 195 pounds now. I owned. I owned my process to make sure that my top priority was taken care of. So the first reason I stand, health. But here's the deal. It impacts everything. Think about this from a bit. It, it's a known fact. Scientifically, you bring more energy to everything you do when you stand. I could sit down right now and have this same conversation. You wouldn't hear the same conviction. You wouldn't hear the same energy. You wouldn't hear the same passion. That's the other reason that I stand. Camera's on all the time. Any call that I'm on, I don't care if I'm running it, leading it, or just a passive participant. It doesn't make any difference at all. You have more energy. Your blood is flowing more when you stand than when you sit. That's, it is an absolute game changer. 
I guarantee you that if you met me and somebody else who was sitting down and you had the same conversation with both of those people, I promise you, you would remember me more than them. You'd remember my story better than their story. Now, bring this home, Paul. Guess what, my friend? You're in front of students all the time. You're in front of students all the time that pretty darn soon are going to be interviewing for their first real deal jobs. And guess what we know is never going away, courtesy of the COVID-19 pandemic. This. This. So when they interview for their first job, virtually, are they going to be sitting or are they going to be standing? We were just talking about that today because we have Employers Day Friday. And we argued, to go a little bit what you just said, you were talking about how you have to stare at the camera on your computer, not at the picture of the person. You you knew somebody, I think you said, that put glasses over the camera. So you're you're staring at someone's glasses. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's exactly right. You're only ever, and this is the deal, I've, I do this all. I did this in, I mean, gosh, in the last year, I've done this in front of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. Some of them at the same time, by the way. But you're over, you're only ever talking to one person. I'm looking at a camera. I'm looking right above the camera. I'm only talking to one person. I don't care if it's the two of you or 250 of your favorite friends. It doesn't make any difference. It really doesn't. It helps you bring so much more conviction to the conversation. So now in my company, over the course of this last year, more and more, I, you know what? I should have bought stock in Veridesk or something like that. Because <laughs> more and more and more people are buying stand-up desks. More and more people are standing. More and more people have their cameras on. More and more people are engaged. I heard a wonderful term. I never heard this, by the way, until like three days ago. I read this article that somebody sent me. I, I, I can't remember where it was from, but it was, it was a study that set out to understand what what skills set elite leaders away from average leaders. And the skill that rose to the top for elite leaders, and I've never heard it put like this, but I absolutely love this language. Elite leaders, unlike average ones, were fiercely present all the time. Think about that. Fiercely present all the time. Okay, so if you're an interview candidate and you were fiercely present all the time, how much would that set you apart from everybody else? 100%. Leaks into everything that you do. And everything. That's a hard, that's almost uh, not even understood by kids today. You you could tell that you just you just lob that softball across the plate. Right there, yeah. yeah, it's a big strike zone, Tom. We we we've been on softball fields together every now and every now and again. You just you just lob that one up. But do you know why? Because they don't know how. Right. Correct. Correct. Because they don't know how. Okay. So Paul, you and I talked about this the other day. There's there's this. I like to call this the trifecta. 
we're on a we're on the doorstep of a pandemic trifecta. We're on the doorstep of an investment pandemic. We're on the doorstep of a communication pandemic and we're on the doorstep of a leadership pandemic. I already touched on the leadership part of that. But the most important one is around communication. And by the way, we were on the doorstep of a communication pandemic before COVID-19 was ever a thing. Think about our generation. Our generation, and by the way, I'm not knocking this like some people will. I mean, it's, it's, it's all about their iPhone. It's all about Instagram. It's all about social media, right? But guess what? Those things aren't going to go away. I mean, I got neat little strategies that can help you manage social media. And all of them are really, really good strategies. Don't get me wrong. But the fact is, social media is not going away. It's not going away with the next generation. It's just not. So how do we manage through that and help our people manage through that? The point is, because social media has gotten so big and because it's such a thing, people don't do what we are doing right now often enough. They just don't. I tell people this all the time. Your ability to communicate openly out loud with your mouth in front of people face to face, eye to eye, I don't care if it's virtually or in person or in a live setting will determine how successful you are. Paul, I come to schools all the time. I've been doing this for 12 years now. I come to schools all the time and I talk about interview skills. And I tell people this, if you remember nothing from today, remember your ability to communicate with somebody and bring your resume to life and bring your story to life will be the difference between you getting a job and not getting a job. I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people. The thing that sets the people that got the job, apart from the people that didn't get the job, again, all talented, all educated, all deserve to seat at the table. But the one thing that sets them apart is their ability to communicate out loud with one another. Tom, I, I can't, I could not agree with you more on this. In fact, I had a conversation with Paul's classroom about the, the iPhones and the screens and, and, and how that's sure. impacting them and, and, and the sure. benefits of just what you're talking about today. But, you know, that said, how do you convince people, you know, you know, how do you, because I convince them that, that, that you're, that they're doing, you know, harm to their future prospects. Hey, so that's the thing. I want to get back to your interview loop, Tom, uh, but Matt, I, oh, I, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. We have a couple students starting a business, Matt's mentoring, investing with them, helping them. That's a whole nother episode. But mm -hmm. you told Matt the story of how phones are great and they're a tool and they can empower you, but there's nothing better than being where, which Tom was saying. You told my class that today, Matt. Like you guys actually went and met with somebody you couldn't get a hold of. Yeah, you know, yeah, Tom, and some of the things we've I've been doing with these students is we we go visit the business, believe it or not, or the people we wanted to talk to, we'd actually go make an appointment, sit down with them and have a, have a meeting, you know, and, and, and these were all local. So it was, it was easy to do, but every one of these, 
they happen to be gentlemen. Every one of these gentlemen we met with made it a point to say, I can't believe you guys came here and were willing to sit down and have a conversation. It was so, they're so thrilled with it. They're saying, this is how I do business. This is how I build relationships. This is all the difference. And not only did we, not only did we get what we were trying to accomplish in our meeting, we got so much more. We got so oh, yeah. many other so many other leads, so many other relationships, so many other ideas. You know, the, the first 15 minutes was what we were there for. The next 45 was 45 minutes of, of bonus, bonus ideas and, and things that frankly we, we just wouldn't have gotten if we hadn't gone and sat with them. And it was very, it was very I hope anyway for my my partners here who are who are younger, younger guys, eye-opening that in in these these gentlemen were our age or, or older and they're all saying this is how you do business this is how this is how you do th- you communicate you talk you exchange ideas in the moment you don't ship a thousand emails back and forth or or text mm-hmm. or, or whatever it mm-hmm. is and it was it was extremely eye-opening to me be, to see that in all these different industries, everybody's kind of going through a lot of these same kinds of things and how we stood out just by walking in a door. But it was easy to do, right? They, 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 I would have thought they were going to hug us. They were so, yeah. 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 so very easy to do, <laughs> but it's just as easy not to do that. Right. Easier, you thought, right? You thought they, life's, life's full of important decisions. Right. But little things matter. Little things like that set you apart from everybody else. And that's it's all about perspective. That's at the end of the day, perspective drives performance every day of the week, every day of the week. By the way, I can't take credit for that quote that comes straight from Inky Johnson. By the way, if you don't know the name Inky Johnson, take a couple seconds. You'll be very glad for you, and you're welcome ahead of time. I sounds like, he sounds like an old mafia mafia name. No, <laughs> I, I follow him on Twitter, and almost daily I'm learning from him. Oh, he is. He is. It's, you want to talk about a story. Yeah. You want to talk about telling a story? That guy... He got me through my darkest days after my surgery. That's all that I'll say. Johnson. Yeah, you got you got to look him up. And what he does on social media is he'll have these big speeches and he'll just cut them up into little little bits, and every bit has a yeah. lesson. And that's what he's plastering out on social media. That's exactly that, that's it is. <laughs> it's incredible. But but Tom, you mentioned perspective. So Matt and I always talk to have perspective. You have to be able to compare things, right? So if kids have always used their phone or just done text or email and have never been in person, they don't have this perspective. So that's why it's so crucial. Like what Matt did with my students is actually get them out there. And Matt, I think those two students would tell you a hundred times over that it's better to meet people in person, wouldn't they? Uh, they, they would, they would have to. Yeah. But that's our job, right? hundred percent. That's our job, right? Our job is to give them perspective and in, in leadership lingo, we talk about we talk about coaching models all the time, right? They're they're D ones. They don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. How can they possibly get perspective if people like it, if you take a so situational leadership, 
101 would say they're D1s. They just don't know what they don't know. Well, guess what? It's our responsibility to help show them what they don't know to give them a different perspective. That's it, it, this. That's Tom, that's why that's why it sounds like you do much of what you do, whether it's with Paul's class or 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 elsewhere. Yes. And that's exactly why I did the same thing. And and I'm look, I'm guilty sometimes too of going, you know, I have and I have a 21-year-old daughter, right? So I I I I communicate with her in, in that age group and and her friends and those kinds of things. And sometimes you go, my gosh, what are these kids? And thankfully my my daughter's doing very well. I'm super proud of her, but I go, well, these kids don't know what they don't know. And then I come right back to what you're saying. I go, well, whose job is it for them to know what we want them to know? It's, it's mine. It's yours. It's Paul's. It's, 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 we've got to take on that, that responsibility, right? And we've got to help support them when they fail. See, this is, this is, that's the reason people don't do things, by the way. People don't do things a lot of times because they're afraid that they'll fail. Well, what happens if this, this doesn't go my way? And I think about adversity all the time. Uh, there's a great quote from um, Tony Bennett, the, the head basketball coach at, at, at Virginia. Virginia sure. When they, they were the first number one seed to lose to a 16 seed. And he yeah. said, adversity is an interesting thing. If you use it the right way, it will buy you a ticket to a place that you could have never gone to otherwise. Right. So and, and that is so important. There, so what? There's no. So I'll pull. I'll I'll pull language, Paul, from chop wood, carry water. There's no such thing as a test. There's no such thing as a test. You have everything you need and nothing you don't. There's no such thing as a test. Who cares if you fail? It's no big deal. It's so important, Tom. It's so important to go out there and fail and, and do these things. And I, I, I feel like I beat this drum all the time. It's not, it, I, it's the people my age and people who I'm sure you run across people, Tom, like I do, who go, I hate my job. I hate where I'm at in life. I, you know, I, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish, but they're mm -hmm. afraid to fail. Like you said, they're, they're it just, just afraid to fail. cripples them. And I try because I, Nobody's failed as much as I have, you know, I fail and I'm, and I'm not going to stop because that's where I get my growth and, yep. and, and so much, so much benefit from it. And this idea that failure is bad. I, I just, I just can't say it enough. It's necessary. And that Tony Bennett quote, I hadn't heard it, but it is spot on. It's beautiful. It's, it's, it's really great. I, I will say this, the alarmist. So I was asked the other day, during, during a Q&A on interviewing or something like that, I was asked the other day, what is the single biggest gap that people have coming into the workforce? And I talked about it a minute ago. It's simply put their ability to communicate with people. People, if you have it, it's such a competitive advantage for you because nobody else has it. Has it? Yeah. People can't do it, and that's. I mean, Paul, I'm on record. I mean, every person that's that's been in every school that I've ever been in, I'm on record. I've been through Toastmasters twice, by the way. It's it, it changed. It's it absolutely changed my life. But I'm on record. I think beginning in eighth grade, 
every single kid, and it should be mandatory, should have to go through public speaking every single semester from eighth to 12th grade. No choice. Every single semester, that's two semesters a year, every single semester should have to take a public speaking class. That's how much, again, we teach kids the what. Paul, Paul, with all due respect to you and your colleagues, we have wanted those poor kids into submission, to be perfectly honest with you. Yep. But we never spend any time and don't give me your half a semester facts class either. We never spend time on the how. And it's the how that will determine how successful they are. It's not the what. And that's, that's the biggest frustration from my standpoint. And it's coming from somebody who has a speech impediment. That's why this is so important to me. And if I'm telling you, if we don't put a, put a stake in the ground and say, darn it, we're going to make communication an important part of what we do, we're, sti we're still going to see the same thing over and over and over again. It's only going to get worse as generations go by. Do you, do you know, Tom, we're interviewing kids for next year's New Visions class, and they asked what a typical day is like. And we start laughing, of course, because there's really no such thing. And, and both your kids have been through the program. Uh, all, all your, both the years and, and Matt stuff. And they ask about how hard it is curriculum wise. And we just laugh. There's really nothing hard that we teach. What wise, when we attempt to teach the how that is when they get in trouble, when they have to go out on a rotation and meet a business and they text me five minutes before where's the place. And we said, well, you should have looked it up the night before. You should have figured that process. You should have been there. Well, I'm in traffic now. I'm stuck behind this truck. Well, th that's not my problem. H how are you going to make this better? You know, and, and they panic and they think they're failing. And we, we try as best we can. But the trouble with the school system is that can't be measured as well as the test can be measured. Right. Well, of course, we see that. Guess what? We see it in the professional world all the time, all the time. Key performance indicators. Oh, good lord! <laughs> Curriculum. Oh, it's the same, you know, but, oh, but we we try that. Like that's that's the biggest thing they get out of it. And and the kids that get that are like, well, this is easy. I'm like, well, you're more right. comfortable trying to discover the how than the people that are always just focused on the answer. Do you, do you guys think? Do you guys think the what the the what to death as Tom put it there? And, and Paul, you'd have a interesting perspective on this. I think is is because of the ability to quantify it, measure it. So, you know, so object that that's why we've fallen into this trap, if you are, if you will. Well, in, in my opinion, hundred percent that schools are, are funded. I mean, obviously publicly, right. And public officials want to have quantifiable results and they, well, what's the easiest way to get a test score, not to, not to create a portfolio or have the kids do a video of what they've accomplished for the year explaining it. That's too hard to do. And, and that's hard to quantify. You can't, well, you can't quantify. And in the business world, I'll give you a wonderful example in the business world. We're trying to embed Toastmasters into what we do every single day. I talked to, I talked to one leader about it. And the very first thing this person asked me, well, did you baseline their ability to communicate. 
it's not about that. It's not, it's not about that. It's just so you can, so you could measure how much they've theoretically improved through the process. It's not about that at all. It's all about practice and feedback, practice and feedback, practice and feedback. That's all it's about. You don't have to measure You don't have to measure everything. Well, we're, we're obsessed with it, aren't we? Measuring we're obsessed everything. Absolutely we're, obsessed with it. Sure and, and you know, it certainly has its place, but it's it's you know, it has its place, but it doesn't mean it's it it, it belongs everywhere. And I'm right. I'm kind of interested in your your idea on uh, public speaking in high or eighth to twelfth grade. I remember taking it. I don't remember. Maybe it was tenth or ninth or eleventh grade, and I remember being absolutely horrified by it. And then I remember taking it in college, and and it, it getting easier and. And now I've done so much of it, I, I enjoy it, believe it or not. You know, and I'm sure, Paul, you but people are horrified by it. There, hey, there's only one thing in life that people fear more than dying itself. Yep, public speaking. Public speaking. <laughs> That's why, okay, think about this for a second. That's why people don't do it. Sure. They're afraid of failing. They're right afraid back. of it. I, yep. can walk in, I can walk into a middle in a in an auditorium full of teachers and i could say okay we're starting a toastmasters course today i guarantee you half of them turn around and run the other way they would That's you know you know tom does that come back you know it's it's interesting though it comes back to something you were saying before we started recording i think it was before we were recording about confidence and oh, yeah. and 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 i mean much of it is confidence right and and to me, Ball much confidence. confidence comes from, oh, and I know what the other point you made on that is, because it just clicked, because this is how I was thinking. Mm -hmm. I don't mind, do I, I love doing it because I'm so confident, because I'm confident based on the things I'm going to talk about, I believe in so much. And it's right. because I think, as you put it, relentle relentlessly prepare, I yes. want to say. Okay, yes. so I yes. feel relentlessly prepared when I speak to people. So yes. I'm, I'm, extremely confident and therefore i actually enjoy the process because you've done it you've done it over and over and over and over again i tell that to paul's classes all the time i, I i've done this a million times so but the point is if you want to get good at something you need to practice it and you need to relentlessly prepare for something so if you walk into an interview and i know that i've relentlessly prepared for this experience that's automatically going to set me apart from everybody else. And it doesn't matter if it's inter an interview or just an everyday conversation that you're having with somebody. We impact people, by the way, every day. Every single time we interact with somebody, we impact them positively or negatively. It's never neutral, by the way, ever neutral. You either impact people positively or you impact them negatively. The question is this. Do we leave people better than we found them? If you have to think about that, then you got to think about your process. Do we leave people better than they found them? Are they better off for having interacted with us than not? And that's a question that I think we, we continuously have to, have to ask ourselves. I, I've told Matt I'm a big John Gordon fan. I, I know Matt. So am I. Well, there you go, Matt. You know, it's time to 
put those on your audible. Uh, and, I'm an Inky Johnson. Well, yes, yes, yes. And, and he, his big term, I mean, I don't know if he coined it or not, but he uses it in some of his books are energy vampires, you know? Yes. And there's a lot of people that, that there, there's going to be energy transferred either way. Are, are, you, are you giving it to people or are people taking it from you? And I like to think I give people energy. I know you guys give people energy. Uh, but I have a lot of colleagues. You have a lot of business partners probably that you could argue take it from people all day. And yep. that makes life a little more difficult in the communication process, doesn't it? Yes. It's a choice, though. Yes. It's a choice. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a choice. I mean, that's what drives me nuts about this stuff. You, you choose which road to go now. So, so I'm excited. So you talked about the pandemic trifecta. I've been taking some notes here. So with leadership, I think it's safe to say to solve that part of it, you, you let people, you, you help people take ownership and you trust people. And, and over time that may help the leadership part. Over all goes back to all goes back to servant leadership. Yeah. I like, yes. Servant leadership. Uh, During for communication, we talk about public speaking and Toastmasters. Yes. Uh, Yes. Helping people be intensely present in the moment is going to be yes. a huge part of communication yes. and practicing it. Yes. But you yes. mentioned you mentioned investment and we haven't touched yes. base on that. So maybe yes. we shift gears for that a little bit right yes. now. Yeah. So here's what here's what I mean by that. I don't mean like being the next Steve Jobs or right. anything like that. That's not that's not what that's not what I'm talking about. It's about understanding what it means to invest and by the way everybody thinks i'm talking about money when i say that and that is part of it don't don't get that twisted that is part of it right so from a from a from a financial perspective from a money perspective people don't understand what it means to invest money there's good ways to do it. There's bad ways to do it. There's smart ways to do it. There's not so smart ways to do it, right? So, and again, D1s, right? They don't know because they've never done it, right? That's up to us. It's up to people like you to really make, give them a different perspective and show them what it mean, what it could mean for them to, to, so what's in it for me, right? I mean, there's got to be a part of that. There's got to be an element of that. What it could mean for them to invest money, to invest in themselves. But the thing that I'm really talking about when I say that is the most important resource that we have. Time. Time. You are what you devote your time to doing time is such an interesting thing i hear this all the time i'm too busy i don't have time for that oh you do have time for that actually because you remember you're the one that decides what you have time for and what you don't have time for right time is infinite see people don't understand it time doesn't stop in case you don't know, I used to have hair up here and all that neat stuff. Time don't stop. Time don't stop. Paul gets a haircut every time I see him. Just for me. It doesn't stop. It is an infinite resource. It's up to 
us what we do with that. So how are you going to invest your time? Are you going to, so let me build the ladder for you. Are you going to invest your time to master the art of communication that can make you the best leader that you can possibly be? See what I mean there? Three pandemics now knocked out right there in about 10 seconds. That's, see, that's why that's the trifecta. One of them impacts the other. I talked about my priorities in life, right? Health, family, career. One impacts the other. It's a domino effect. Trifecta pandemic. One impacts the other. It's a domino effect. It's the same thing. If I don't invest my resources the right way, I won't be able to prepare myself to be successful, which ultimately will allow me to lead people. Because guess what? You don't have to have the title of leader to lead people. You do it all the time, whether you want to do it or not. So there's no choice in the matter. So all of them feed into one another, but it begins with investment, investment in yourself. So could we, could we label them investments, the foundation, then communication, then leadership? That's exactly why I said it just like that. That investment is, yes, investment is the foundation. But again, the knee-jerk reaction, if we play word word games or word association, I say investment, you think money. Right. I mean that that's just that's just the way that that it works. That's a small part of it, but that's not really what I mean. How do you invest in yourself in your time? Yeah, Tom, and, and, you know, anybody who knows me would, would know that this is how I speak as well. And, and I, I'll, I'll go to a class, Mr. Richmond's or someone else, and I'll say, what's the most important, important asset out there? And they think the same way. Oh, it's real estate or it's cash or it's just, and, and I'm going, you know, I, I'd love to hear the answers come out. And I go, it's time. Asset is the number one asset is your time. And I tell Paul's class, uh, et cetera, et cetera, that what I'm trying to accomplish in my life, what I'm, what I'm always, what, what I, what I want to accomplish in Paul, I don't know if this, if you'll think of the word I always use, but there's one word I'm looking for out of my life and it's freedom. Okay. Freedom's the word I want. And I only get that if I can capture my time, right? That yeah. asset that's time. And now that comes with investing in other things, making sure I'm, I'm investing my money, making sure I'm investing my time in certain areas that allow me the freedoms to do the things you want. But it's just, it's, it's, it's stunning to me, Tom, to have a conversation like this with someone that aligns so much with, with the same things I, I believe in. And it's refreshing to hear it from another voice and another angle and knowing that someone else out there having these same conversations because they're vital. I, they're I vital. You know, they're absolutely vital to, to, the, to these other generations. And like you, I feel a responsibility to talk about it. I, you, I, have to. I, you know, I, I, feel that, I feel that burden, if you will, on my shoulders of other people need to hear this. They do. You, you know, one, one of the things, this is, uh, I, I read this in Chopwood, Gary Water too, Tom. Uh, but it was something to the effect, you have to model the behavior you want out of others. And, uh, you know, by having all the speakers I have in the classroom and the relationships I build and the rotations people go out 
the students go out with. I'm just kind of practicing what I'm preaching, right? Like, how, how can I expect an 18 year old to think they have it all figured out when I don't even have it all figured out as far as I just want to keep learning and growing and advancing. And the know-it-all teacher is not good for a student. I mean, I'll, I'll no. say that right now. No. And, and what I always tell them when it comes to investing is it's you, the reason you want to invest or save money or build assets, Matt, is, is because you want to have freedom for your time later, correct? And so the, the one quote I always tell them is, don't be a tool with your money. Use your money as a tool. And, and that, that's all it is. That's why you want to gather a bunch of it or build a bunch of assets. So you have choices and trade-offs and, you know, freedom, right? We, we say that all the time. Don't save for retirement. Save for a lifestyle. Yes. Well, doesn't, that, doesn't, that come back, doesn't that come back to the storytelling we were talking about before? If you want to convince someone to put that money away, Paint them a picture, right? Tell them, don't just say, well, you're going to, if you put in X today, you know, compound interest, blah, 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 it equals Y. But Matt, there's always a story. And I tell people this all the time. The biggest thing that I've gotten out of Toastmasters, it, it teaches you how to tell a story. It gives yeah. you practice how to tell a story. There's always a story. Always. Always. And, and you said- How are you, you going to tell you went through you went through Toastmasters twice, right? Now, how come? How how come? Why 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 the second time? Well, I was tricked into it the first time. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie. I was tricked in. So so I told you. So yeah. I I kept this a secret for a long long time. But I have something called dysphemia. Dysphemia is a speech impediment. It's a real simple disorder. It's long stops and long uncontrollable stops and stutters. It's a fancy word for stuttering, basically. So when I, when I went to college, my advisor said, hey, I want you to meet me. We're, we're running this class every night, this communication class that I think you'd be interested in every night. So they asked me to meet them at this particular place on this particular night. And I walked in and he was running a Toastmasters class. <laughs> so we talked about people being afraid of, so I wanted to turn around and run as fast as I could the other way. So that's the first time that I went through it. The second time that I went through it is when I first got in the pharmaceutical industry, I had this most amazing leader. He, he, he is a lot of the reason that I do or don't do what I do today. But the very first thing he made me do was take was go through Toastmasters again. That's how much he thought. And he wasn't even the best communicator. In fact, I mean, he wasn't a very good communicator at all. But boy, oh boy, he was one of those people when he talked, you listened. Listen, yeah. You, you listen. But he made me, he, I say made me, he strongly encouraged me to go through it again. So I did. And it, and it just changed everything. It just changes the way that you think about communicating with people. Communicating is nothing. Doing this stuff is nothing, especially when you're in a psychologically safe environment and you're just talking to friends. It's the big deal. But people don't think of it like that. People don't think of it like that. And we've got to get people to think like that. And the only way that we can get people to think of it like that is by helping them think like that. That's, that's my whole point. 
sometimes I think I'm beating my head against the wall when I, when I tell people this. I'm telling you, Paul, if there is one thing to champion in schools, it's the importance of public speaking. And everybody will give you the head nod. They'll, everybody will say, yeah, we know it. We just don't have the time to do it. That's what I hear all the time. If you really want to make a difference in people's lives, make public speaking part of what they do every single semester from 8th through 12th grade. Holy cow. You want to talk about making a difference. But here's the problem. In order to do that, you got to have people that can teach it. <laughs> that's where that's where you'd get the biggest kickback i mean you could almost create a curriculum nowadays in the 21st century that focuses around ownership and trust public yep. speaking and yep. and, and uh, using your time as a resource think you about could it. build an you could build an entire curriculum around that and i'll tell you what you want to talk about producing people to make a difference in the world That'll yeah, do it, man. Yeah, but you know, now I'm starting to to not agree with that because how would I grade them? No, would you grade them? Yeah. <laughs> hey, 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 here's a wild thought. Here's a wild thought. What if you walked into a class and you told every single kid in that class the very first day that all of you get an A? All of you get an A. So stop thinking about your grades. Right. Yeah. Now let's learn. Yeah. Let's learn. Yeah, they get so caught caught up and I uh, yeah, that's interesting. You know, <laughs> you'd think that it might be possible to take any class and incorporate public speaking into it to some degree. I don't care if it's science or math or or, or, or history. I mean, why why can't you discuss science up you in front could. of the class? No, it's class? part it's it's part of it yeah. all. So here here's the way that I kind of think about that though. It's part of everything that you do. You could very easily embed that into everything that you do, but, but guess what? Everybody speaks English in science class too, but we still have an, we still have an English class. You, you, you know what I mean? It's, it's something I see this. I see everybody trying their best. It's people's best attempt at embedding communication skills in people. And we do, we do a good job of it. We really do with what we have, we do a good job of it, but it's not, it, it's not the focus that it needs to have. It, it really, really isn't. And what, what do you think you're missing there? The feedback in some, for, to some degree, you think that's a bit, would be a big no, problem you're missing with that? No, you're missing practice. Just and practice. practice and feedback. So the two hallmarks of Toastmasters are practice and feedback. Practice and feedback. Practice and feedback under pressure. And you're just not getting enough practice. And, you're not and, getting enough practice. And, and therefore, you're also not getting enough feedback. No. And the practice that you do get, I mean, let's be straight up about this. How many times when a kid comes in and delivers a presentation, they got to get up and they got to tell a story about something, right? How many times do we really give them the feedback that they deserve? Many yeah. times it's a, it's a golf clap. It's a pat on the back. Hmm. Wonderful job. But did we do anything to make them better? Interesting, yeah. So the thing that with the things that we always ask people is okay, what went well? Where'd you get stuck? And what would you do differently? 
what went well, where'd you get stuck? Notice I didn't say what didn't go well. Right, right. <laughs> what went well, where'd you get stuck? <laughs> and what would you do differently? Those are three great questions to ask people no matter what. But, but, but you know, you talk about practice. A lot of teachers don't have the practice. They, they, they just don't even like, you, you teach what you know. And, you, you know, I, I have the kids do a presentation where they can only put three pictures on their on, on their presentation, and then the rest of it has to come oh, right up yeah. here. Amen, man. My, my, they don't know what to dream. do, though. Oh, <laughs> my, my dream is a PowerPointless society. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I, someday we're going to get there, and I would love to leave that charge, by when, the way. When you came into class, you told me you just wanted a whiteboard. That's all. That's, that's all. My so next let me project get that. with the kids. They have to do I'm going to be straight up with all of you. I, I'm not. So you know what I just said, right? I recently took part in a training. A hundred and thirty slides. Oh. One three zero. A hundred and thirty slides. You were listening to the training. I was trying. You must be smarter now from all those slides. Oh, man, am I ever. Holy cow. Yeah, I know what I don't want to do. That's exactly, that's exactly, that's exactly right. But it's, it's, you know, but, but you're right. You do need people. You've got to, boy, you know what you could do? It doesn't cost much for a Toastmasters membership. You could almost, so we talk about we don't have people that can teach it, Right. Right. But guess what? Toastmasters is a contained training class. That's what it is. It, I mean, there's you. I mean, there's there's like a process. I mean, there's a word again. Right. There's a process for that. It costs pennies for a Toastmasters membership. You could almost that's 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 your class. That's your class. That's your curriculum, by the way. You don't have to build anything. That's the whole curriculum. And you go with it. I think I just gave you the answer. Hey, tell, you, tell your teacher friends I'm free. <laughs> oh, trust me, I will. <laughs> hey, Tom, this, this has been awesome. So I, I do this to Matt every time, and now I do it with my guests. So in your best effort, in a sentence or two, uh, sum up uh, people that are struggling, people that uh, don't think they can find their way. What's the best way they can dig themselves out of a hole? And Matt, correct me if I'm phrasing it wrong. Uh, dig themselves out of a hole, get better, uh, get to a point in life that they only feel like they can dream about. Is there a sentence or two where you could sum that up maybe? I can sum it up in three words. Ask for help. Nice. People don't do that. Ask for help. Tom, uh, you've been great tonight. This is awesome. Thanks, guys. I you appreciate know, it. We're, we're, we're just getting started, but we're going to have you back in the future. Hey. Took the words out of my mouth, Paul. Took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> you need, you need, you don't even have to give me any notice either. You can, you can call me. Hey, listen, I'll be happy to, I'll be happy to take time out of my, 
out of my Jeopardy and Wheel of Fortune nights to, 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 <laughs> to come talk to you guys if you want. By the way, Aaron Rodgers is a terrible Jeopardy host. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> my, 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 we had dinner the other night with my brothers, my mother, and I have not seen it, but they were talking about him, and I said, Oh, it sounds like he's doing. It sounds like he's good. The kind of the way they were talking, and they all looked at each other and went, "Eh, not, not really. <laughs> not really. Not, not really. Not, not really." But, well, uh, we're gonna have you back for sure. Listen, this is this is awesome. Um, I'll say this to y'all. I mean, any any way that I can help you, I'm more than willing to do that. I'll I'll leave you with. One of my favorite quotes. How about that? And that's that's where we'll end this. And this, if this doesn't symbolize what our experience has been for the last 13 months, I don't know what is. One of my favorite quotes. Day to day, nothing changes. But when we turn around, nothing looks the same. Ooh, that's nice. If that doesn't symbolize what we've gone through for the last 13 months, I don't know what will. Now, think of development. Day to day, it doesn't seem like anything changes. But when we turn around and look, are you the same person you always were? That's the question that I always ask people. So take ownership of that. Ask for help. Tom Casey, everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks, Thanks a lot, guys. I appreciate it. Be safe, be healthy, and we'll talk soon. Yep. Wonderful. Hey, have a good night.